So the movement had started to spread. Last week, uh, we heard that the persecution started, and as a result, followers of the way had scattered. They didn't scatter the way that Jesus' disciples scattered after he was arrested. Because everywhere these people went, they brought the message with them. And the movement grew. And pretty soon, there were communities of faith beginning to pop up in other places around. And each one was kind of, had its own personality, its own flavor. It's a little different from the others. Um, for example, think about the church in Jerusalem, right? This is where it began, the very beginning, and it's where some of the apostles still were. It's where James, the brother of Jesus, a lot of the uh, first deacons in the church, and it was it was very Jewish, right? Um, these they, they were Jews. They probably still went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. They met in the temple courts. Uh, they they were very Jewish. Now, over here, there's another community that's springing up in Antioch. And it's got a different vibe to it, right? If, if Jerusalem is your more established mainline, then Antioch is your more missional, emergent church, right? It's a church plant. And they're engaging the community, and they're bringing in different kinds of people, and there's a lot of excitement going on, and they're kind of doing weird things, and and some of the people that are not part of the group are like, these, what are these people about? And in fact, the, the community in Antioch, the, the, those not inside, those not part of the movement, they try to make fun of them. They're like, you guys are weird. You guys are like, you're like, you're like little Jesuses running around. You're like these little, little Christs. And of course, the people inside the church are like, that's awesome. We love that name. That's going to stick. Right? They were first called Christians, little Jesuses, in Antioch. But there's something like really unique going on here. One of the leaders, a guy named Barnabas, heard a rumor about the man Saul who had kicked off the massive persecution that caused everyone to scatter in the first place, heard that he had had some sort of mystical encounter and was now a believer of Jesus. And so he goes off to find him to make sure that that rumor is true. And he does, and he brings him into Antioch. And that community surrounds him and builds him up. And he becomes the dominant voice of all Christianity. And this church sends, they take Barnabas and they take Saul, Paul, and they send them off to go other places, to tell the story of Jesus, to spread the word, to further the movement. And so they go. They go on this journey and they're gone for a while. And then they come back and they are so excited about all of the stuff, and they have so many amazing stories. Everything that they've seen, everything that they've done, works of the Holy Spirit, miraculous signs, the people that they've met, and the people that they've encountered, that, that, that the life of Jesus, the story of Jesus just spoke to, that they were drawn to coming in, and they were telling stories about the houses they stayed in, the people they met. And those in Antioch are a lot of them are very excited. They're all excited to hear it. But then, then all of a sudden, a couple of them clues in. It's like, wait a minute. Did you just say you were in the house of the Gentile? Well, yeah. Like, Jews and Gentiles, they were all coming here. It's like, Gentiles. That's new. Um, I mean, I mean, don't... 
don't don't get me wrong. I'm I'm not like anti-Gentile or anything, but but I mean it's it's, it's good that you're doing but you walk in their house and and you told them that they could be part of this. Like yeah, I and mean, you know like we 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 you know Gentile's kind of a broad term. Like we we are with lots of different people, lots of different nationalities. You know, I mean, Wayansians, um, Galatians, Bereans, Thessalonians. But yeah, you call them Gentiles. Um, it's like, okay, but like, did they go through any kind of conversion before they came into our group? Well, I mean, they, they, they were baptized. They took on, they were following Jesus with us. They're like, yeah, that's, that's, that's not exactly what I mean. I mean, are they still living their Gentile lifestyle? And of course... They're like, what? What do you mean? Like, well, you know, like, if you're gonna, if you're gonna be part of God's people, you have to follow the law of Moses. The men have to be circumcised. They have to they have to follow all of these rules, all of these laws that we've had for so long. You can imagine Paul, the missionary, having been out there, having been kicked out of more synagogues than some of these people had ever been in, was not going to have any of this. And an argument broke out. And. <laughs> It kept going on and going on for some time that they decided, you know, what we need to do is we need to go to Jerusalem. We need to meet with the leaders, the founders of this movement. And let's let's talk through this and decide what we're going to do. So Paul and Barnabas and some others journey down to Jerusalem. And on their way, they're telling stories about everything that they did in the Gentile world. And people are getting excited. They're generating buzz. And they get to Jerusalem and they, again, the, the topic comes up and Again, the Jerusalem church, different culture from the Antioch church. The Jerusalem church actually has a lot of Pharisees as part of it. Now, you know, and, 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 and others. And so when they hear this, they're like, they have kind of the same reaction. They're like, you know, we're not, we're not Gentile phobic or anything, but like, it doesn't seem right. They should have to completely become like us if they want to join this. So... James, the brother of Jesus, the apostles, the elders, they meet to try to figure out what to do about this. What did they do? Could you imagine? I mean, hypothetically speaking, if today there was some sort of controversial divisive issue about whether or not a certain group should be allowed to fully participate in the body. No. Hypothetically speaking. No. What would you do? It's really interesting to see what they did, but actually what's even more interesting to me first is what they didn't do. I grew up believing that the Bible was the ultimate source of authority. Everything that we knew about God, everything we knew about the church, about what we were supposed to do, comes from the Bible. Any questions... Any, 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 any uncertainty, anything, all answers will be found in the Bible. So, naturally, you should go look in the Bible to find out what to do. That's not what the church leaders did here. And I know that that's not what they did, because if you read the Bible, the Bible is very clear. If a Gentile wants to follow God, they've got to be circumcised. They have to follow the law of Moses. Like, there's, there's no way about it. So that's not what they did. 
What did they do? The apostles, the leaders in the church, listened to stories about what God was doing in the world. First, Peter spoke up. Right? Now, Peter had also, he had had a mystical experience. Right? Where he's praying, and all of a sudden there's this sheet, and there's all these animals on it, and they're all unclean. And the voice says, go ahead and have something to eat. And Peter's like, I can't. They're unclean. And then the voice of God says, how can anything that I created be unclean? And then when Peter wakes up, he's immediately summoned to the house of a man named Cornelius, who is a Gentile. But this guy wants to hear about Jesus. So he goes, Peter tells him about Jesus, and while he's speaking, the Holy Spirit shows up and starts doing stuff among all of the Gentiles. And Peter's like, I don't have any choice. I've baptized these people. They have, they have to become part of this movement. Like, God is acting. I've got to join. And that's Peter's story. Then Paul and Barnabas get up, and they tell their stories about all the places that they went, about all the synagogues they got kicked out of, and all the Gentile homes they were invited into, about the way that the words of Jesus and the story of Jesus spoke into the lives of these Gentiles. The way that God's Spirit was working among the Gentiles and doing amazing things. And so the leaders listened to these stories about what was going on and what God was doing in the lives of people. And they made a decision. And I have to think, some of them were apostles, some of them had been around, they had traveled with Jesus. And so, I can imagine some of them are remembering one of those times when Jesus pulled a young child up front and said, if you want to enter the kingdom, you need to be like this child. And then he says, anyone who causes one of these little ones, one those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better if a millstone was tied around you and you were chunked in the water. Because the answer that came out of the leaders was, we do not want to cause a stumbling block to anybody. We do not want to make it more difficult to follow Jesus. If these people, these Gentiles, are being drawn to Jesus, we need to make sure that we don't put anything in their way. It's interesting, the the phrase in scripture says something about how because of what we've seen God doing and because the law of Moses is preached in every synagogue we need to issue a decree and I think a lot of times that's slightly misunderstood the way I read that is we've seen seen evidence of God out there working and doing and acting in the lives of these non-Jews of these Gentiles and The law of Moses is preached everywhere. Everybody that's Jewish, everybody has access to know what's going on. And if we don't say something as the leaders of this movement, then that law of Moses that is everywhere is going to get in the way. It is going to be a stumbling block. Right? So we need to say something. And now they're talking among themselves and they're trying to figure out what what exactly they need to say. 
How do we word this? What do we say? And there's some concern among the, Jew, the, the church leaders, the Jewish church leaders. They're like, we want to make sure, because the, the world at that time, religion was an interesting thing, right? There were, there were the Roman world, the Greco-Roman world, there were gods for everything. And as Rome conquered new lands, they just kind of added more gods into their system. Um, in fact, they even had a cult of the emperor. We worshipped the emperor. We worshipped Greek gods. There's some Egyptian gods. And kind of different households kind of got to pick and choose. And so there was probably some concerns. Like, we don't want... We want to make sure that, that if we're going to follow Jesus, like, that they're all in on this. We don't want Jesus just to be another deity added to the list of everything else. And, again, I can just imagine, Paul's like, guys, I've been there. I've talked to these people. Their lives have been changed. They're not... They're not just looking to add something to their collection. And the rest of the leaders are like, yeah, nevertheless. Let's be clear about this. We want them, but we want them all in. So if you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to leave behind all of these other practices of, of other religions. Right? Because we've seen what happens in these other temples to things. They sacrifice animals to idols and then they eat the meat. Some, some like, will do some weird strangulation ritual with, with the animals. There's blood. Then there's the fertility cults, right? Where they, you know. <laughs> so let's be clear. If you're going to follow Jesus, you can't do any of those things. But otherwise, let's let him in. So they decide to make this statement. They write this letter. This is what they say. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the believers of Gentile origin in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that certain persons who have gone out from us, though with no instructions from us, have said things to disturb you and have unsettled your minds, we have decided unanimously to choose representatives and send them to you along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to impose on you no further burden than these essentials, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication. If you, keep yourself, if you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. Short letter. Short list. And so, they sent the letter, Judas and Silas, Paul and Barnabas, back to Antioch. They read it to the church, and there is rejoicing, and there is people are excited and welcomed and in fact, out of that comes the idea, you know what? Let's go back out into the Gentile world again and take another trip and revisit some of the people that we saw before and meet some new people. And the movement continued to grow. So, what did you like about the story that I just shared this morning?
about the, the regulations that they set, you're basically saying, um, like, can you make it possible for us to be able to eat the soup? Mm -hmm. Like that, like that was kind of the the stipulations for the regulations they gave. Like, it's hard; it would be hard for us to be in community with you if you've done these things. We want to be able to to eat with you, to be in community mm -hmm. with you. Interesting. I like the way they're uh, <clears throat> responsive to what's happening. Uh, I mean, I, I think uh, maybe at first, at least some of the some of the council in Jerusalem aren't, um, but Paul and Barnabas help to kind of confront them with, "Hey, we're, these things are happening, and we have to reckon." with our experiences and maybe God is doing something new uh, beyond what we expected uh, um, even though the same way he, he did something new with Jesus yeah even though he didn't expect it at the same time I push back a little bit that they that scripture was not important to them mm -hmm. um uh, maybe maybe they led with their experiences, uh, but in the same way Jesus said, you know, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. I think that's part of what's happening here is that they're rereading their Bible in light of their experiences. Um, that Amos nine passage where they talk about, oh, what's happening with the Gentiles is helping us to see that this has been in our Bible the whole time, and we haven't seen it. Um, the prophet knew. That this was coming, uh, that 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 all people would be welcome at God's table, and that the Gentiles would experience full inclusion, and it's been here the whole time. And look, look at that! Like the Bible's telling us, like we we need we're reckoning. They they're not throwing the Bible away. Mm -hmm. They are they're reckoning with the Bible in the light of their experiences. So I, I love that process. I think it's, um, and I think you're right. I I, I think it's. Uh, Having grown up uh, in in a tradition that really valued Bible, 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 mm -hmm. you know, the fact that they're paying attention to how they're reading the Bible, interpreting the Bible in light of their experiences is really significant. I think there's another thing that just jumps out at me in the story in general is the fact that yeah, you do have people that are really adamant about no, like. If this is a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, but for the most part, you're seeing people are saying, let's step back, let's wrestle with the potential implications of this. Let's actually look at it without the blinders on. Let's look at it and really examine the experiences and really examine and struggle. And even if it means getting ugly a little bit with each other. You know, I, I love what Landon Saunders says one of the problems. He says, the problem isn't that we fight. It's just there's no joy in our fighting. You know, and it's, you know, the fighting is not necessarily a problem as long as there's an honesty and an openness to, okay, maybe maybe I've been wrong. Uh, you know, maybe you're right, maybe I'm wrong. And it's that willingness to say, yeah, let's, let's, let's struggle with it. Reminded of a little coffee table book I once saw where it's called On Conversation. And uh, the writer said, you know, when two people come together, 
can openly and honestly share with each other, they both walk away changed. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's what's going on. When you started your message today, uh, what came to my remembrance was the Jesus people. I mean, the contrast between Jerusalem and, and, and Antioch was vast, right? The contrast back in the 60s, when, when, when the hippies were coming to legitimate faith in Christ, it freaked out the traditional church. How can a long-haired person with a beard, you know, who doesn't dress right and act right, and, you know, <coughs> how can they, how can this be? And they play guitars. <laughs> <laughs> God organs and pianos. Guitars. How can this be? Oh, scary. Well, I came to faith in 77 when, when the guitars were coming into the church. Mm -hmm. Just, and these are acoustic guitars, no drums. Drums came much later. And there was an adjusting. There was kind of like, and we had organs and we had guitars for a long time because these guitars were scary. <laughs> and, and that's yeah. the contemporary Christian music, which is now the dominant music, and the hymns are going out the back door. Huh. Where's the organ? Where's the organ? Where's the hymn? Anyway, but so the, the tension of uh -huh. the 60s reminds me of this. Thanks, John. One of the things I really liked um, in the story is how contextual the church was. Hmm. Um, to me, this seems like an early moment in the church where they realized the specific um, Judeo context that the church was born from in Jerusalem might not be the healing message that other cultures around them needed to see. And so this was one of the early moments, perhaps, where they said, okay, how do we take this core seed um, which is Christ's message for the world, and, and spread that good news around the world. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you know, and then they, they get some things, and this was their moment to say, okay, what are the areas that we hold fast to? What are the areas that we can adapt to as well? And I, I think there's a lot of that that applies today, but it's, it's really interesting. You know, that's, um, I think part of my experience of coming of age is realizing that things that I held on to as, as sort of concrete pillars, undeniable truths of my faith, um, I let go of. And you know, that was a, a deconstruction and reconstruction process for me, as I think it probably was in the story, too. And so, yeah, I appreciate that. That's part of the story. Thanks. You know, there's one other thing that you, you were saying that just kind of dawned on me, that there is no indication, no suggestion that those who are Jewish quit being Jewish mm -hmm. in this. I mean, that's not that's not the issue. Um, but the issue is in this passage, and it actually says it is how can we prevent a block to the Gentiles? How how do we prevent them from? I mean, we don't want to prevent them from entering. We don't want to cause a stumbling block to them. Mm -hmm. We want we want those doors open for them as well. So how do we work that out? But it's not such a suggestion at all that somehow it's wrong to mm -hmm. be a law observant, Torah observant Jew yeah. who's also a follower of Jesus. So, yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. Another thing that your comment raised for me, too, is 
how fluid this list of requirements they gave was. Because you have Paul in First Corinthians saying, that whole food polluted by idols thing, yeah, I mean, you know, like, so it, it, this is not like an all for all time kind of edict. This is like, here's the next step of discernment. And we're figuring this out as we go. This seems right and good. And you see that evolving even after this moment. Yeah. yeah. John? Reminds me of the phrase of the immensely um, back to what uh, you and John were saying. And that is, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things charity. Yeah. So they're having to define what is essential, what is not essential. It's kind of like, it was like a pop quiz. Kind of, you know, mm-hmm. what's in, yeah, we're back to, is it a bounded set? Is it a sinner's set? You know? Do we let everybody that says they're Christian be Christians? You know, it was the, that men's movement that the Philip Stadiums just started letting anybody that said Jesus out loud. Went, you know, there's a lot of people who think they're Christians that are living crazy lifestyles. I mean, I was in the Brooklyn New Age Church when, when I was. Backslidden, I went to church to Texas peculiar practices. But it was a church and I won't go there, but there is everybody Christian just because they're American? <laughs> <laughs> There's people who believe that we are we are a we are a Christian country. India is a is a you know is, is a Hindu country. Yeah. Therefore everybody here is a Christian. Right. Yeah, neither one of those things are true. <laughs> that's, 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 yeah. That's, to, that, to that point and what we've been sharing, yeah, I'm often sort of knocked in the forehead with realizations of how radically inclusive the message of the gospel is and how radically terrible we as humans have been over the last couple thousand years about doing that. Mm-hmm. Because it seems like Every time something comes, we can't help but put up a wall here or a blocker here or, or something else, and, and we always have to other some other group. You know, they're different than us, or they're something else, and so we can't work with that. And it's so fascinating to hear, you know, whether the you know in all things charity you know, this, these these messages that have resonated throughout, and and how badly we've done at actually following them. You know, we like hang on to these mantras. And then when we examine our own actions, we're not oftentimes living up to those. And so that is a, I think it's, it's hard to accept ourselves as, as fallen humans who are, who are imperfect and who are selfish and hoard resources and aren't accepting of people who are different than us. And to look that in the face and understand, I've got to work against that if I'm going to spread the message of the gospel. And to that point, that today in all of these weeks, we, we have some really strong language in our confessions. Okay, there are a lot of evangelical churches and charismatic churches, and it's rare for, 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 for people to think or say such words out loud. Now, I came from Episcopal Church, which, which was in the book, and you said that over and over and over again, every single study, it just was just, it was just, it was nothing. Because it's the same word. You're confessing the same thing because it was in print for the last 18 decades. But we're, this is bringing to our thoughts how far, how far, far, how we fall short. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I personally need to hear that most every Sunday. 
It hurts. It stings. And I'm grateful we're doing this. Julie, <laughs> I, I just was going to say that um, I just think it's interesting, you know, the Jews have been in this covenant relationship, which is such a special relationship with God. And to have this open, you know, to have the covenant kind of changed or open a little bit. And I think God knew in order for that to happen, and I'm not I'm not necessarily saying, I don't know what I'm saying, but I, I, what I'm saying is Peter had this vision, you know, men show up at his door because an angel came to somebody, and then he, he goes with these men he doesn't know to this house where he doesn't know where he's going, and all these miracles start to happen, and the Holy Spirit's acting in all of these people, and he's seeing all these, and then Paul and Barnabas are seeing all these signs and wonders, and, you know, yeah, they can't deny it. Like, God knew what they needed in that moment. He knew the experiences that they needed to be even open to that, because, as, you know, in John, they're in, yeah, I seen it does say, as we have these experiences, the words of the prophet are in, are in agreement with this. All the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things. So, like, scripture's confirming it, but I don't know. They needed these signs and wonders and these visions, and they were, they were open to it. They were looking for those things. They were in tune with the Holy Spirit, you know. So I just think we have to keep all of that in mind, too, um, today. Yeah. Because those things still happen today. So I, I just think that's really important. That's good. Thanks for that. Um, so... What is something that so how the question? How do we take what we've learned about God this morning and apply it to what we're doing in our lives? I think it's important to remember I'm just reflecting on what I knew about this story growing up. Uh, that you know it was crazy and radical, but it was it just happened in the Bible and that kind of thing. But you know, now after that, then everything was absolutely like yeah. that was the one sort of like yeah. pick up and that <laughs> and now everything else is absolutely. Um, and so I'm just thinking, and for a long time, I think that really made me operate from a place of fear of like you know, just you can talk about this slippery slope all day. Well, like you can do this, and like, you know, just <laughs> everything's a muck, and there's no sense of control, and I think um, just as we carry God in our context, to do just that, to carry God in our context, I think, um, I don't have to defend Jesus, Jesus can defend himself, I don't have to worry about it being a slippery slope, because if I'm holding things up to, uh, you know, walking in step with the Spirit, um, I don't have to be afraid if Jesus is going to show me something new or taking me down a new train of thought of you know people or things or issues or what whatever it is because I can hold that up in light of what I know about the Spirit 
and not start from a place of fear um, and feel confident that maybe that wasn't the only hiccup in the road and then everything else is absolute. Um, I don't know. Like, I think I just always had like sort of this inner fear about that story of like, well, how do I know what's next? How do I know what's up? You know, if we're going to start saying this and, and just to not start from that place of fear and start to like God, like, I'm glad God didn't start from that place of fear and start like he is. And I just don't think when we reflect on Jesus that he operates in that place. Thanks. I think um, we can learn that mission and the idea that God is going to uh, use us as part of his purposes to, to connect with our neighbors uh, is messy and that's okay. That people's lives that are not that definitely our lives, but also the people's lives that that we connect with in mission. Uh, it's going to look kind of crazy, but that's okay. That, that sense of control that you was talking about that we can relinquish some of that because there's going to be stuff beyond our comprehension, and uh, and just to be able to rejoice in the moments where we see God break through and, and look for Him. And, and kind of be be content that that it's it's not gonna play by the all all the rules of the time that we expect. I really appreciate what Julie said. Uh, sort of this image of control. I picture just this like tight clenched fist, you know. And I I agree with you. It comes from a place of fear. Like, I, I need to be in control of this. I need to be in control of this thing. I need to be in control of this person, whatever. And recognizing that, that that's not at all our role or our place, you know. God it has the ultimate control. And I, I think something that I can learn from this is, is to sort of loosen those fists a little bit and to accept, you know, to be willing to be challenged and to, to think like, okay, well, am I right here or am I wrong here? You know, to be willing to have that rather than feel like I need to, you know, like, well, I need to be in charge of this. I need to be in control of this message. I need to be in charge of who's, who's in this and who's out of this. And really kind of trying to step back from that and, and like, and sort of check yourself, you know, like, because it's easy to sort of be like, oh, yeah, I put that down, and then kind of pick it back up, and not really, but you did it, and then be like, you know, you kind of have to do regularly be evaluating, like, oh, did I, did I try and, like, take the reins over here again, or, like, ha- have I really given them that? I'm trying to think about the story, and have they not come to that conclusion to, like, open you doors up, um, what would have been the fruit of that? All these Gentiles would have not known Jesus. Mm-hmm. And um, so for today, I think about who are we walking out, who are we putting that barriers to, mm-hmm. and what's the fruit of that? And the fruit of that is they don't, they don't know Jesus. And so rather than always look on, looking on me and thinking, am I riding along with this you know, what, what, where's the line here? Where's that slippery slope? And looking at them and thinking, <clears throat> I'm keeping them from Jesus mm-hmm. by whatever feeling I'm having. And is that valid? Is that something I can do? Um, 
So for me, it's, it's, it's a reminder to what if they hadn't done How do we do that? I had a lot of thought. Thank you. Yeah, I'm completely telling Chloe, she'll like correct her friend's grammar, and she's always like policing everybody, and like telling me how to step on. She's also a wonderful kid. She's also a wonderful kid. But like, you know, she'll be over Chloe about a disagreement that she had with someone at school, and it's mostly that she's telling them how they should be doing things, and they obviously don't like that. And I tell her, you know, you'll just enjoy your life and your friends so much more if you quit policing everyone, and just enjoy them for who they are and the way that they do things and live their life. And, you know, and like that's a moment of truth for me as well. Like mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about or be afraid of the control I have over other people and their decisions. But life will feel a lot better when I let go of that and mm-hmm. love everyone for who they are and, and where they are and the way that they're living their life. And um, I know that's just a small tip of the iceberg of a conversation, but... Um, it's hard sometimes because you that, that gives you a posture of fear. I think for me, do uh, you need to go first? Nope. Go ahead. Right. Why dudes get to go first all the time? <laughs> I think for me, and at my age, it's been, I, I mean, I've struggled for the last year of who's in and who's out. Mm-hmm. And um, I think where I have finally gotten is to ask myself every day. Was I Jesus? And was I Jesus to the people that I encountered this day? Did they see Jesus in me? And then I decided that, you know what, I'm just going to let God sort everything else out. I, I mean, I'm serious, and that's hard for me because I, I get it. I'm a control freak. I'm a control no. for everything. And that's hard to just finally just say, okay, whatever. Just go through go through this day and be Jesus to people, and then you know what? Just let God sort it out. It let Him sort it out. When it when it's all said and done, let Him decide. And that has taken so much off from me, worrying about who I who I speak to or who I don't or do I accept them for who they are or do I not accept them. It, I really struggled with some of that. Um, and so I just decided, you know what, I can't, I can't keep going there. I've just got to love people like Jesus would love people and then let God sort it all out in the uh, I, I was talking to a friend recently who said we were talking about discernment and the nature of discernment. And he said something like, uh, you know, I, I prefer stories over statements. Um and it made me think of Acts 15. Uh, there's a statement in Acts 15, but it's built on uh, these stories. It's built on the experiences that they're uh, that they're having with God and with people who are outside of the categories they had for um, inclusion. And I uh, let me just name the elephant that's in the room. Like I think we have some discernment about our LGBTQ friends and sisters and brothers. And I think it's important for us, no matter how, where we fall um, in the perspective or the spectrum of, of, of opinions about it, that we we listen to the stories of our LGBTQ friends and neighbors and brothers and sisters. Uh, that we uh, that we listen to those who read scripture differently, either if it's a, a traditional sexual ethic or if it's a um, uh, a different 
sexual ethic, an affirming sexual ethic. We need to not be afraid of listening to the stories and listening to each other um, and let God work in that. I hate elephants in rooms, so I just had to like name it. Um, but I my thinly veiled metaphor. That's one among many opportunities yeah. for discernment, for sure. Okay. But that's a that's a, a test case for how we should be listening to stories and how people are reading scriptures. Piggybacking on Belinda, there's something just uh, again. It was just uh, I, I'm a geek. Okay, I just come out and do it. Um, Mending Wall by Robert Frost comes to mind, where he says, you know, before I build the wall, I'd like to know who I was walling in or walling out. And then he describes his name, and he keeps on saying, "Good fences make good neighbors." And he says, you know, they come together to build, to reset up the wall. You know, between his apple orchard. Yeah. Uh, but he said, no, I see him move in darkness. Not just of, of the setting stone. And he's carrying a stone in each hand like an armed stone sandwich. And, you know, that, that imagery there is, again, who are we keeping in? Who are we keeping out? And, and setting up this wall to keep people out, to keep, you know, we're more like a savage armed just to take on whoever or whatever you know and I think that's just in all of that you know it's the same thing when you're building a wall or tearing the wall down it goes right back to all the pieces you're supposed to tear that wall thank you thanks everybody for your thoughts so just as God is out in the world doing things this is a time in our gathering where we can share some of these stories and we can pray about participating in what God is doing. Um, so we do this by talking about breakthroughs and battles, um, a breakthrough that we've experienced this week in God's mission that we want to share with the community or a battle we've experienced that we want to share. It can be directly connected to missional communities. It can be a personal experience. Um, but the microphone is open to come up, take a couple minutes to share, and then, um, and then someone else can, can pray over that.